Welcome to On the Sheffield. We are here on a Brendan, settle down. Sorry. I'm Josh Newberg. I have a full bench with me today. Sitting to my right is Chris Nee, and to my left is Brendan Sinone. Fellas, how you doing? I'm great. It's not accurate at all. Sinone's just irritating the hell out of me already, and we're about a minute in. I know. I know. Well, we just had the opportunity to hear from head coach Mike Norvell, a couple players, Deontay Sheffield, Josh Griffiths, and Wyatt Rector. There you go, Brendan. So where do we want to start today? Jordan Travis's status? What? No. No. Zane Herring's shoulder injury? No. Lawrence Toll Philly? No! No! Oh, we're we're going to Sinone's wheelhouse, aren't we? The Wyatt Rector film. It's not, we're going to go straight into scholarship talk first, actually, mm-hmm. but that does involve two of uh, Brendan's favorite things. A pair of walk-ons got tapped, yes. Deontay Sheffield and Wyatt Rector. Sinone, were you surprised by this? Did you expect it to happen this week? Uh, what's your take on it? Um, I was very surprised, Josh. One, because we were following up. It was funny, earlier in the day, Chris and I were going over the scholarship count, and we're like, oh, they actually have two left is what we kind of came up with and we were going to write about it the next morning and then Deontay Sheffield tweeted out that he got put on scholarship and then a few hours later Wyatt Rector's girlfriend put out that that Wyatt was and she called him YY and that YY was put on on scholarship I'm going to call him YY from here on out too and it was really cool to see both of those guys because we are well versed in both of their stories how hard they work both are uh, scholarship caliber players at other programs uh, both had options and you know Wyatt Rector was at Western Michigan Deontay Sheffield could have been at UConn as scholarship players. Instead, their paths led them to Florida State with varied reasons. But as far as it's being surprised, Josh, yeah, like I I didn't think that they would be handing out a scholarship to a player that had one more year of eligibility or two more years of eligibility like Wyatt Rector. Uh, we like both of those guys, both of their stories. So it was a pleasant surprise to, to get the week going. I think it's a clear statement by Mike Norvell that hard work will be rewarded. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're thinking about the years and the situation. I think they're thinking about two guys that earned it, that deserved it. Deontay certainly has waited his turn with some, you know, disruptions in it back in 2017 with the staff leaving here that had made him certain promises. And then, you know, he deals with Willie for two years before he gets to this point. And with Wyatt Rector, you know, he's a guy that came in here, he busted his ass, and he does anything that's asked of him by that staff. And he's going to be their number two tight end, it looks like. So, you know, good for them. I, I'm always a fan of guys who actually deserve it, getting what they deserve. Can I, can I elaborate on that real quick? Uh, Chris mentioned it's a statement that Mike Norvell makes. It's not just a statement to other walk-ons. It's a statement, in my mind, to every scholarship player on the roster and even to – future players, like guys who are looking at transferring in, maybe as walk-ons in the future. It basically says very loudly that I don't care about your background, your accolades. I will put you in a position to succeed. And if you work hard, you will be rewarded for that hard work. And I I think as Mike Norvell plays the long game at Florida State, which is becoming abundantly clear, he's not going for the quick fix and, and using these scholarships on incoming graduate transfers right now. He's rewarding those who have been culture guys and, and continue to enhance the culture he, he's he's sending a message throughout the florida state program yeah, and by our account this puts fsu at 85 which is a limit obviously scholarship limits are going to get real interesting here with this basically being a forgiven year but as of right now we don't believe that fsu could add another scholarship player that's not going to stop people from asking us about numbers not going to stop people asking about transfers when they jump in the portal, like a guy like Jake Burton yesterday out of UCLA who ended up landing at Baylor last evening. But it is what it is. And I think we're going to rename this segment. I want to call it the numbers always work out segment. How's that sound? You should get it. Just get it tatted across your chest. It can be our new cover logo. Numbers always work out. Open for sponsorship. Here's here's my take on, on Jake Burton leaving UCLA. Um, I've talked to a couple coaches – about the transfer portal. And it's pretty widely known that if a prospect hits the transfer portal and announces a new school within the first 48 hours um, or 72 hours or whatever, first couple days, they generally know where they're going before they even hit the portal. Um, I reached out to Jake Burton. I had a cell phone number for Jake uh, yesterday just to, just to touch base and see, you know, what he had been hearing um, if he had been hearing from FSU and literally 
four hours later, five hours later, Jake Burton had tweeted that he was committed to Baylor. So I immediately knew that this wasn't, this was a direct transfer, if that's even uh, a term. Um, he was leaving UCLA to go to Baylor. That was known before he put his name in the portal. Florida State wasn't involved in this one. However, I know we say that they, they don't have numbers. I think Florida State should just continue to take transfers, especially on the offensive line. And here's why. The NCAA is about to give years of eligibility out. Um, there, there's transfers going to be abounding left and right with the Big Ten and Pac-12 not being able to play football. I can't see the NCAA coming down on a program like Florida State for taking one extra offensive lineman, one extra scholarship player, even though they need the waiver. I don't think that that's going to factor in at all this year. Um, if I was them, I would I would just go out and take a guy. I mean, the NCAA is basically non-existent right now. Yeah, I, I think there is some wiggle room uh, with the 85. The bigger issue for FSU right now is that cap, class cap limit because they're pressed against that with but Manning Rogers. But all this is going to change moving forward. Right, but there's a, there's a period of limbo that we're in right now. I agree with you that it's going to change. And eligibility, I, I keep phrasing it as kind of murky right now because, well, hell, mm-hmm. it is very murky right now. But based on the rules we know exist, FSU's in a situation where mm-hmm. technically they can't take somebody else. And I think putting the two uh, walk-ons on the scholarship was a clear sign that they're working yeah, with the belief of, of the current rules. But I do yeah. agree with you that the rules may change, which is why you saw FSU coaches follow Jake Burton as though they follow vastly any transfer who can bring value to the roster. To elaborate on that, Chris's point, it wasn't just coaches like one or two like we've seen with other guys in the past. It was like four or five assistants that followed him, which was abnormal. And I think that's why we saw the the fan base get in more of a frenzy than usual when there's a follow or two for, for a grad transfer or transfer type of offensive tackle. Yeah, well, just my take. I think they should aggressively pursue them and, and let the numbers work out. All right, we're going to move on to some news and notes from the week. Uh, I want to start with Chris. Mike Norvell came out and confirmed what we had already suspected, and that was that Jordan Travis didn't throw in either of the scrimmages. Uh, what's your take there? Are you concerned? And does it look like Tate Rodemaker is solidified QB2? I think Jordan's a package player. I think that's been true since camp started. I think this only furthers that point. Um, I'm not concerned about it, but I'm also not sure exactly what the heck is going on. I don't know if he's having, you know, we know back in the spring that he missed a practice, for example, because I think he said he had some arm fatigue. Jordan has said that in the time we spoke to him earlier this preseason that he either had arm fatigue or he just his arm didn't feel good that day. So he essentially did not throw that day. I don't know if that's the issue here again or not. If it's an ongoing reoccurring issue, that is concerning. Um, but that's sort of where we stand. But yeah, right now I think Tate's your number two if you got to go to an every down quarterback. So known, is this a physical injury here? Is there something else that could be keeping Jordan Travis off the field? Chris kind of touched on what we've long assumed in that it, it seems to be more a load management type of deal, but but I don't know that to be a hundred percent. I do know that he's been very limited in practice this preseason. That's not to say he hasn't practiced. He certainly has, but uh, I think Mike Norvell hinted at it. He, he'll be on a couple of days and off a couple of days. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, it, it seems like there is it, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, the shoulder fatigue makes the most sense from what we've gathered, but it, it, it does seem like there's a load management kind of deal going on with him right now. And, and that I agree with Chris makes Tate Rotomaker the clear quarterback too behind James Blackman. Zane Herring out for the year. We got that news, I think, on Monday or Tuesday morning. Mike Norvell came out and let us know that he had shoulder surgery. Uh, Chris, do you think Zane Herring was going to play this year, or do you think this was just a wash anyway because he was likely going to redshirt? I think the preference was for him to redshirt. I won't say there was no possibility of him playing. He he did show some signs in the spring of winning over to staff to some degree and getting into that too-deep work. And obviously they're not super deep on the offensive line. So I don't want to dismiss the possibility of a guy getting snaps because of necessity, but I think the preference would have been to redshirt him, but he had to go under the knife. He shared 
on his uh, Instagram story that he was getting a shoulder fixed up. From what we understand, it kept popping in and out, and it was a mm-hmm. recurring issue. And he and his family spoke with Norvell and the staff, and I presume the medical staff at FSU, and just decided to go ahead and get them then cleaned up so it's not an ongoing, constant issue. Hopefully it clears it up and we're not staring at another situation like a Darvin Taylor or a Christian Meadows or, I mean, even Ryan Green, he got operated on as soon as he got on campus too. I, I always get concerned <clears throat> when they when they have their shoulders operated on as soon as they get on campus, but it seems like everything went well for Zane. Um, we'll continue to, to watch that. The other bit of news this week, Kalen Laybourne, the exiled running back who was booted off the team seems like about a month now, but it was, it was somewhere like three, four weeks ago. Um, I don't know what caused it, but this week he took to Instagram to write an explanation, basically saying, to sum it up, I took it to, to say that he was the fall guy for maybe some things that were that he alluded to happening. It was very vague, but it sounds like he was not taking 100% accountability and kind of saying that he was made an example of by the head coach. I didn't see a big reaction from any of his players. Um, it looked like he was alone on an island there. Didn't see anybody really chiming in or retweeting him. Uh, do you guys think there's anything here? Or is this the last we hear of Wayborn? Well, I don't think the team is going to – like you're not going to hear anything from Florida State's side. I don't know if Caleb himself will say anything else again, but I mean, he basically said that that Mike Norvell lied and that, that like Josh said he was the fall guy for officially – Violation of team rules, which Kalen LeBorn disputes. Uh, what I was told at the time, it was team rule was a failed test, and I'm not talking about academic tests, multiple failed tests. So, I mean, that's kind of the rules. I think his argument is, you know, he's not the only one having multiple failed tests and and probably coming around without saying it. Uh, feels like he was an example was made out of him. But with Kalen, he's had issues with now, so this is Mike Norvell's staff. Odell Hagens has suspended him twice when Odell, who, who I'm pretty sure recruited or played a big role in recruiting Kalen, uh, was the interim head coach. When Jimbo Fisher was the head coach, he was in the doghouse, and he got into legal issues when Willie Taggart was the head coach. So that's four coaches he's had issues with. We've heard that he's had problems with being punctual to practice at times as well. So uh, I don't have a whole lot of empathy. Moving on. Keyshawn Helton looked to be full go. Uh, we yeah. got to talk to him this week, Brendan. I'm excited that Keyshawn Helton is moving out from the green jersey, which is essentially the non-contact jersey. It means don't touch this player. Usually quarterbacks wear that and guys coming back from injury. And it sounds like he's moving into the white jersey, which is what every player on offense wears. So he is going to be available this season. Everyone has praised and gushed over Keyshawn Helton. I mean, anyone you ask raves about his work ethic and how he's rehabbed from this knee injury. I was initially told that October, November was going to be the realistic timeline for him. He is ahead of schedule, but when you hear about the way he's worked, I guess it it makes sense that he will find himself to be available. I don't know if he's 100%. They've talked about Ron Dugan specifically mentioned getting Keyshawn comfortable with getting hit again, mm-hmm. but he's going to be available. He's going to suit up, and, and with that in mind, that at the very least helps your depth right away, and I think it raises the room for what that wide receiver position can be uh, by the end of the season as he gets more comfortable on the knee. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the wide receiver room, um, maybe we should have led with this intel or this bit of news, but Isaiah Bolden, the former defensive back out of the Tampa Bay area two years ago, um, is making the move from defensive back to wide receiver. And this also, or maybe maybe it has nothing to do with, but it coincides with the fact that today Coach Mike Norvell admitted that DJ Matthews was still not with the team. Now we believe this to be still COVID related and him still quarantining. We don't think that there's, that he's off the team, but he's now missed about two weeks of practice, um, pretty much the full camp. So Isaiah Bolden makes the switch. DJ Matthews is absent. Chris, who do you think is going to contribute more to the position in 2020, Isaiah Bolden or DJ Matthews? If I was betting, I'd, probably bet on Bolden, truthfully. I'm not convinced Matthews definitely plays this year. I'm not saying I expect him to opt out, but I certainly think that's being considered. And, uh, you know, because of COVID situation and whatnot for him, I, mm-hmm. I think he's one of those that hasn't made the decision whether or not he is returning. You know, he's been gone since at least August 12th. Here we are on August 26th. 
that kind of puts you behind the eight ball. I also don't think he's a guy that's particularly won himself over with the new staff. So, you know, I, I don't think that helps his cause either. I think Bolden's a guy, partly because of this move and his willingness to work hard, that the staff at least has that mm-hmm. built up, you know, qualifier with him to run him out there. But that position, you know, I think that position's Terry held, and then we need another guy or two to step up, you know, Two weeks ago, before everything went sideways with Warren Thompson, I was ready to put him in that category as the guy stepping up, but he took that misstep and has uh, kind of win himself back in the favor. And if he does, mm-hmm. that's a great thing for FSU. But I'm not betting on Matthews right now. I just I don't I don't feel like it's a smart bet. I agree with you. I I, I think uh, we've seen DJ up and down. We've seen him have run-ins with every staff, including the one that signed him. You know, everything wasn't peachy, even when Lawrence Dossie and Jimbo Fisher were still here. There was, there was some friction between DJ and the staff. So third coach for DJ, kind of the same results. I agree with you. History kind of tells the future with Matthews. I don't think he can be dependent upon. I mean, he might bring some production to the unit, but I think heading into the season, man, just the ups and downs he's had, they got to find production elsewhere. And maybe Isaiah Bolden's that guy. Um, somebody else that has been producing on offense, Lawrence Toa Philly. Uh, we've heard quite a bit of his name being dropped just here and there. Brandon, what do you make of that? Toa Philly. So, so Mike Norvell mentioned him on Monday, a couple of days after the scrimmage, and gushed, absolutely gushed over Lawrence Toa Philly and the whole week he's had. Uh, so it wasn't just like a good practice. It seems like he's strung together multiple good practices. After hearing that, I want to dig around a little bit on it and uh, and talk to someone who referred to Lawrence Tofilly as electric. Now he is undersized. I know people on the message board will ask about that. Yeah, he, he's he's about a buck eighty, and he needs to put on muscle, and that's going to take some time. But what he does have is a ton of athleticism. He's extremely natural when he gets the ball, and you can get it to him as a runner or as a receiver. And then Deontay Sheffield kind of confirmed what Norvell said and, and what some sourcing told me as well. And that's that, that, yeah, he's, he's really good and going to be a special player. He is, he's electric in a word. Uh, Josh, you, you know, who else is electric? Um, where's it? No, who else is electric? Dan Garland of Evershore Financial. Dan Garland of Evershore Financial. Why do you, why do you say that Brendan? Because you'll be shocked by the money you can save with the sound advice he provides on financial planning. See what okay, I see what you did there, Brendan. It's hilarious. Why don't you tell the people more? Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are financial professionals and diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA-registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help from someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321-304-4026 for a no-obligation consultation. One more time, that's 321-304-4026. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securing Financial Services, Inc., member of FINRA, SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated. 750 North Maitland Avenue, Maitland, Florida, 32751. So now that the, the scrimmage is a couple of days in the rearview mirror, it seems like Mike Norvell has kind of settled down. We talked to him on Saturday night right after the scrimmage, and he was, I'm just going to use the word irritated, and it was kind of a tone that we haven't seen from Mike Norvell since he arrived at Florida State. He was fired up. He was, dare I say, maybe a little angry. Um, but then on Monday, he had, a day, he had a day on Sunday to review the film, go over it with some of the guys. He he. He had a softer tone on Monday, would you say, Brendan? What, did, what have we learned since then? Softer tone on Monday, and then Tuesday he comes out and says, this is probably the best practice the offense has had since I've been here. Follows that up on Wednesday by saying he's proud of what the offense has done again. 
And I'll say this, this is something FSU fans want to hear. He's always said, whenever he said this week that they had a good day, he also mentioned that they were physical. Yeah, he has mentioned physical a lot. And that's something that I think a week ago, Josh, they were kind of forcing situationally to try to try to really force and ramp up physicality. And now it seems it's happening a tad more organically after that second scrimmage. So, so that's a big deal. Uh, one other thing about Norvell, I'll say too, I think fans will like to hear. Some coaches do coach speak, and I'm sure over a period, well, all coaches do coach speak. It's just a matter of, of they're all coaches speaking. That's but, why it's called coach speak. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. But Norvell, from everything we can get, Chris is really proud of himself on that one. Uh, everything we can gather from Norvell is that he's a pretty much a straight shooter. If he views something as positive that day of practice, he will let you know. If he views it as negative, he will also let you know. Uh, and when we go ahead and cross check it with like people who are at practice and stuff. Yeah. It, it, it shows through that he's being pretty transparent. So when he says the offense is having a good day, I'm inclined to believe that, that generally the offense is having a good day. The big takeaway from this week. And one of the things I wanted to focus on uh, after the scrimmage is something Kenny Dillingham talked about was the offense beginning to find its identity to be able to establish as Kenny said, what we're good at. They've thrown so much out there schematically these first couple of weeks of camp, just to try to see what we can do, what we can't do. And now they're scaling it back and they're going to start building on, on what they think they do well. That's something that Mike Norvell mentioned today. Uh, and, and I think a little bit yesterday as well. So, so he's talking about this offense kind of starting to formulate what it can do well. And you start looking at game plan and you can kind of feel that a little bit of the momentum has shifted in terms of, of how this offense is being viewed by, by Norvell. To add to the point, I agree with the physicality and all that that you brought up. I think the thing that irritated them the most on Saturday was the failure to pay attention to details. I think that they have an understanding that their offense is going to have some shortcomings, just naturally based on the skill, the talent, what they have at their disposal, what they can do, what they would like to do. There's some things they're not going to be effective at. I think the thing that caused so much frustration with Saturday beyond you know the offense being sort of inept to a degree is the fact that much of it was self-inflicted. There was a whole lot of uh, you know just details, receivers dropping balls guys blocking the wrong direction, turning the wrong way, doing the wrong things of what they're supposed to do, what they've repped over and over. And I think if the offense can figure out those things, it's about maximizing what they have at their disposal. I I don't think Norvell is one of these guys that has a utopian view of what his offense can be and that it's unattainable and that they're never going to get there and he's just always going to chase that. You know, I think he has a belief of what they should be and that the reason Saturday was so disappointing is that they weren't close to what they should be, and it was their own fault. It wasn't that the defense dominated them. Even though the defense had a good day, that's not shortchanging that bunch. There was so much the offense could have done better to make that day a better one than it was. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that the offense has shown when they have those kind of missteps that they can come back from it, pay attention to it, they're receptive to what the coaching is. And, you know, Norvell talked about Sunday was very much a teaching day. They went over 12 specific plays. They showcased specifically on that play what they did wrong, what was within their control that could have made that play drastically different. And I think that's where we're seeing this team grow is that there is a receptiveness of the players to what's being taught and they're taking lessons from it. They're not tuning it out. Now, all of that is conjecture and hopes until we actually see it happen on the field. But, you know, as uh, Sinone said, I feel like the head coach has been a relatively straight shooter with stuff, especially when it comes to kind of benchmarking his team. So I have optimism with regards to they are showing growth, but there's going to be shortcomings no matter what. Yeah. Also, I saw there was a bit of uh, some video going viral through Big 3 Twitter. Uh, FSU released some scrimmage clips. And there was a lot of comments about how big or or – lack thereof, the lack thereof size of some of the players that they're looking small. A um, couple things I realized in these clips is not a lot of first teamers in the clip, mainly second and third teamers. Um, so I think a lot of the ribbing going on on Twitter was just that, just rival fans just trying to pick at something. But I think there is a little bit of concern in there somewhere because right now we are seeing the middle portion of Florida State's roster balloon. And what I mean by that is those upper tier players are very few and far between. Um, While those videos didn't depict exactly what Florida State's going to trot out on the field, 
a lot of those guys in the video will play meaningful reps during the season because they're second and third teamers. Um, one of the biggest things I remember during the peak of, of the Florida State era in the last 10 years was just the fact that Florida State used to roll up to the field with defensive backs that were sometimes bigger than the other team's linebackers. Not only were they bigger than their linebackers, but they were faster than their secondary as well. And I think Florida State has gotten so far away from that physically. And this isn't a strength and conditioning thing at all. Um, Coach Storms can only work with the frames he's got. You just look at this, the, the middle of their roster, and it's kind of been the drum that we've been beating these last few years. And that's really where they're going to get hurt. And in these COVID times and in concussion protocol times, your second and third stringers might not look like they're depend upon on paper. But when you get to actually playing the game, you're going to have some of these guys going against the best players in the ACC in certain scenarios. And like, I, I just, you know, that's what I'm fearful of heading into the season is just being outmanned on the football field. I got some thoughts on that. I didn't know if Chris wanted to jump in, but I, I have some thoughts on that, Josh. Um, one, the middle of the roster is something that we've talked about. I think all three of us kind of have the sobering reality when we were doing the top 50 lists that you love so much about a month or so back when you start putting out, the projections and and we we'll probably already would have changed it to a lot of those in hindsight anyways, but yeah, outside of Marvin Wilson, uh, Hampson Nazarene, Tamorian Terry, maybe Robert Cooper and, and a couple of other guys, like you would take FSU's top five or so players and stack it up against most teams in the country and feel pretty good about it. The drop off when you get to that second tier, when you get outside of the top five or even the top 10. So let's say 10 to, to 30, that, that chunk of the roster, those guys who, who start representing depth and, and versatility and flexibility off the bench uh, in your second tier starters. That's when I think it gets a little dicey and unknown for Florida state at this time. So, so yeah, the, the people freaking out or the other programs, fans poking fun at Florida state's third team linebacker looking small, like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's not a huge deal, but, but there is some truth in, the depth is going to be tested this year, especially in the COVID era where you could see guys, you know, more sitting out uh, on a weekly basis than usual. And that's something that Florida state's going to have to be creative in and overcoming. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't think that's something to totally dismiss. Yeah. They're not the monsters of the midway, but they're also not scrawny little puny men across the roster. There's a lot of big dudes on this roster. I also think strength and conditioning program is night and day better today than it was 12 months ago. But the fact that I it have, agree with that. The fact that they didn't have mandatory workouts for the entire time between March and June, basically, and even truthfully after June, you know, it, it takes its toll. It, it's a lapse in the time that guys can get stuff done. And some guys came back in really good shape, but some didn't. You know, Norvell's mm -hmm. talked about them playing themselves back into shape. And I think, you know, there's both game shape, but there's also just adding weight, getting bigger. You know, Josh Griffiths, for example, talked about going from 236 to 260. That's an excellent gain, and it's a good gain in his case. I don't think there's enough guys on the roster that had that kind of leap this year, and that's largely because of circumstances. I, I think that's something that will go away over time with the way they're going to recruit and the way they intend to develop guys physically. And one one other thing, too, I want to add to that with just in terms of the video that I thought of, uh, the clips that FSU sent out, again, acknowledges the second and third teamers. Some of this, the size is by design. Like Corey Wren, Lawrence Tofilly, Ja'Kai Douglas, these are guys that Florida State took. And with the mind of like, we're going with speed here. We need speed. That's the first thing that we're building right now. These are kind of the gadget players that we're going to either work in Kendall Bryles offense or uh, now that Mike Norvell is, is in tow, uh, this offense as well. Those guys you can have as kind of the combo slot running back types. So then you look at defense, like DeKalen Brooks is there making a tackle on Corey Wren. DeKalen Brooks is probably a third string linebacker at this point. Malcolm Ray was in the mix. He's a defensive end converting to defensive tackle. So, Again, I'm not super concerned about it, and some of that is somewhat by design until you can go ahead and get these complete, you know, giant power backs, which FSU still isn't quite in position to do. You're 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 playing with speed right now. Everything in that in that segment we spoke about in a VIP piece on Monday um, in Brendan's scrimmage notes, and I'm not here to panhandle or beg. But if you guys are considering joining Knowles 24-7 to get intel like this a couple days early, it's a great time. The season's starting. But not only that, we are running a special right now 
for half off of an annual VIP membership. So what that means is basically you'd be getting Knowles 24-7 for $4.47 a month for a year. Um, you'd be paying for Knowles 24-7. It's less than what Brendan pays every morning for his latte. You'd get it for a month. So if you are considering Knowles 24-7, I just want to give you a heads up that there's a 50% off deal going on right now. Just go click the front of the page and you'll see it. You can't miss it. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we get back, we're going to take about 20 questions from our listeners. All right, we are back. Um, we had we had members of Knowles 24-7 submit some questions that they'd like to see us answer. So I'm just going to get right into it. I'll throw these to you guys. Um, TB3Golf714 wants to know, if each of you had a realistic option at QB in the 2022 cycle, who would it be? I like MJ Morris a heck of a lot. I think he's very talented, very well-rounded, and he's a guy I know they like a lot. I was going to say MJ Morris as well. That would have been my pick. Yeah, I'd go with MJ Morris as well. I have Nico Maracol, crystal ball to Florida State. I just checked it. I see there's five picks currently for him to FSU. Um, Him and MJ Morris are the top two quarterbacks on the 2022 board, and it's going to be first come, first serve for those guys. So no idea. Neither is set a decision date, but – I think it's going to be one of those two guys who is, is the pick for quarterback in 2022. Uh, Jamrock Noel wants to know, when will you, Nieberg, and Zach be doing your season prediction thread? Probably seven to ten days before kickoff. I, I think it's kind of foolish to rush it, especially with the fact that the landscape might change for regular season. I mean, we've seen yeah. NC State, Virginia Tech already bump. So, um, yeah, probably seven to ten days, a little, a little bit more than a week out. We'll do some season preview stuff, and it will tie into that. Okay, Chobi Noel wants to know, what's the biggest difference you have seen between this coaching staff and the last? Uh, this coaching staff hasn't lost any games. <laughs> Brendan, what about you? What's, what's the difference? The strength and conditioning program is one, and I know it's been discussed quite a bit. Mike Norvell's organization from top to bottom, he is very, very thoughtful in, in how he runs this program, and that's been refreshing to see. I think they're also they're, – they're not here to put up with bull. Like, they're very straightforward. I mean – they they have let some guys go from this roster that need to be let go. They're they're very much eyes forward. We're going towards the next thing. You're either with us or not. Some foxhole buddy stuff, and that's involved in a lot of difficult circumstances that no other staff in the history of man's ever had to encounter, other than guys who are new staffs this year at schools. I, I want to interject real quick. I know this is going to ruin the flow, but one thing that I want to ask both of you: Have you noticed talking to players and hearing the interviews the past couple of days? Have you have you heard the mic? Norvell-isms kind of start to trickle into their lingo. This is something that Jimbo at Peak Jimbo had guys talking about keeping out the clutter or you know, don't eat the cheese, whatever the Jimbo-isms were at its peak when it was working, guys were quick to to go ahead and regurgitate that. You're talking about, you're starting to hear Norvell guys talk about sacrifice and some of the you know, the climb, the pillars of Norvell's program. Have you noticed that, Nee? Because I yeah, think it's interesting. It, it's certainly becoming a little more prevalent, and I think that's because there's been so much in-person interaction here for the last three weeks. All right. Do you think Mike Norvell and his, this is from Burt Reynolds, Bernard. Uh, do you think Mike Norvell and his current staff will succeed? Did Mims ever make it in? Mims did not make it in to my knowledge. Do you think Norvell and his current staff will succeed? Um, I think they have the right idea and the right approach, uh, but the deck is just so stacked against them coming in with the hurdles that they've already had to overcome, overcome and who knows what they have to face in the future. Um <laughs> It's going to be tough, but I, I mean, yeah, sure, they're going to succeed. Any I, thoughts here? I think they'll succeed, but it's also very key that they don't have missteps along the way that has that bring hesitation to that process. You know, resolving major issues, offensive tackle immediately comes to mind, some depth issues at other positions, building relationships in the state of Florida. Those are all things that they're going to need to do sooner rather than later if they are going to get this going the right direction and stack success on top of one another. I think they'll – succeed if FSU was rolling in cash she could afford to get rid of a a coach say Mike Norvell didn't do very well in two years like they did with Willie Taggart uh, they can't do that again so Norvell's right. going to have time he's probably going to have to succeed three years he's going to have to or you're just going to be mediocre but I think what, what gives me optimism is that Mike Norvell is playing the long game he's organized he's a proven program builder those are things that I think if you give him time and there's some patience, his vision will at least get FSU to a competent level in the next yeah. couple of years. I think we're all optimistic. I think it's just, there's too many variables in play that are uncontrollable to 
to really be sure of anything at this point. And if you are sure of it, then you're full of it. All right. Any info on the Marvin Jones Jr. visit to Tallahassee? No. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've asked the young man, you know, did he visit? I haven't heard back. So that's what I got. Yeah. And and these are unofficial visits where you can't have any contact with the staff. So if he was up in Tallahassee, he was just up to check out campus and head back. He's a 2022 prospect, definitely one of FSU's top targets, um, but a ways out for, for Marvin Jones Jr. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, I was just going to add on Jones. I mean, he's the son of the legend shade tree and he's been here before he visited the day that Willie got fired. Um, you know, he knows this university in and out. The only thing he doesn't know is the coaching staff very well. And that's relationships that, you know, they'll build in person when things are allowed to be in person again. Yeah. Upward Noel wants to know, and I'm not sure why, but this is, he took the time to ask this question as between Brendan Newberg and knee and the elephant man, which one of you is the most handsome and why uh, Brendan, he is pretty. I don't, I don't, I don't have any other reason to, I am a handsome man. Thank you. I agree with that. I and I think this is, as far as sports writers are concerned, it's a pretty good looking group. I think we're above uh, most clubs who do this. Uh, let's not make fun of people with elephant titus, though. Bruce. Subpart F if, wants to know, if Blackman ends up turning out to be a real quality for us this year, do you feel comfortable about him, the idea of him being our starter in 2021 as well? well yeah, if he so, has a good season this year, yeah. Then, then yeah, that, hell yeah. Hey, we don't That's care cool. who it is back there. If they can throw it and have a good season, then yeah, ride them. Keep them coming. No, some think that I care that uh, pushing the black man agenda. It's not Bloom246 wants to know, how important is it for guys like Brady Scott and DLT to be able to have another season of eligibility after you this? Know, DLT love, sounds like a delicious sandwich. In Love Taylor's case, he's a guy that has NFL aspirations. He would like to make it there. I think he has a little bit of work to do to put more on film. I mean, his FIU career was good, but I think part of the reason he came to a bigger program beyond the fact that his position coach and strength and condition coach, I believe, left FIU is because he does want to improve his stock. So I think that's a matter of if he feels like after 12, 13, 14 games this year, or I'm sorry, 11, 12, or 13 games this year, if he doesn't feel like, you know, he's at that position, it certainly helps him. I think Brady Scott's one of those guys that the more development he can get, the better. The biggest thing with Brady is seeing if he latches onto the current position he's playing as his primary role and if he can take to it and do well. But, yeah, I think the extra year certainly helps a lot of those guys that are kind of – you have aspirations for something greater in football – but may not quite be there. I think DLT is much more of that than Scott is current day. I agree. Not sure what this means. I listened to the pre, oh, okay. So he probably went back. Okay. So he went back and listened to the pre Virginia tech podcast today. God, What prediction do you have for this year's team? That's on par with describing the 2018 first team OL as quote solid. Did I say that? Somebody did. We need the to go. Co- we need to the go coaching back. will. The coaching will not be near as abysmal as it was in that game. We would. That, we that's would my cer- one solid prediction. I certainly hope so. Remember, we went back after the Willie Taggart staff was assembled podcast and dissected some some flaming hot takes from yeah. that one that didn't pan out. You know what? This is tough. It's a tough job. You I, can't win I, them all. I don't think the first team O line is going to be very solid this year, personally. I also right. think this coaching staff has more self awareness of what they are as they head into week one than that 2018 coaching staff had. Yeah. yeah and, uh, remember we're hearing from sources that we are still learning how to like, whether they're BSing us or not at that time. And, and Willie Taggart himself, like going into that Virginia tech game legitimately thought they were going to be good on offense. And that yeah. did not happen. Remember, remember Willie's look after the game. I remember his look during the game as well. During the game, he, he saw a ghost. Um, so yeah, we can only, uh, when practice is closed, you have to trust sourcing when it's a new source that you're kind of dealing with or newer sources that, that makes the whole uh, projection game a little bit more difficult. The last 24 months has taught me to pretty much expect the worst and hope for something better. And that's mm-hmm. where I'm at comfortably. Yes, we have hit rock bottom. Will Can, D's I, can, wants... I, can I read this one? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Does Chris actually like you and Josh or is he just acting like it? Uh, I Let like Brandon Josh. answer that. Let I like Brandon. Josh. <laughs> so, no, it's kind of a give and take. Depends on the day. I'm just, I'm just kidding with you, Brandon. It's okay, buddy. I love you. No, I like Josh and Brandon. I, I enjoy my working relationship. Also, enjoy working with Zach, and I'm real tight with both of our photogs, Travis and uh, Greg. Yeah, I, I like the group we have. I think we have good chemistry. And the nice thing about us is 
we can have a knockdown drag out on the phone. I mean, me and Josh wanted to punch each other after the Wake Forest game last year on the phone, and we're good like a day later. Like that, that's the nice thing about our working relationship is we're all adults about it. And our goal is to do the best job possible. And we kind of do a good job holding each other accountable. And sometimes we'll misstep with one another, but we're also very quick to kind of straighten each other out. Yeah, I mean, it's been 10 years. And the way I feel like is work is work. Like you're not going to really, you're not going to really upset me beyond the scope of work. Like if we have an argument about work, it's still just work. Like we're not really arguing. So that's the way I think it goes. And um, once in a while, I just want to tell us to know and to suck it up, Buttercup. Other than that, I really love yeah. that. I and mean, I mean you, you, say, you do say it. <laughs> you don't want to say it. You do say it. I want to say it more often than I actually oh, do. All right. Hypothetically speaking, I love these. We go seven and three this year. Would it be better for recruiting purposes if we went seven and three with James Blackman or seven and three with Chubb Purdy? What happened to the 11th game? And the ACC, I think, is what the person uh, that's one that's of the fair, questions. Okay. Uh, but I do want to say this real quick. I mean, there's, there's a run of seven and three questions from different people. I don't know mm-hmm. what website or what podcast is talking about seven and three, but there's clearly a narrative being out there because seven and three seems to be the magical number in this thread. Okay. I mean, I, well, I think I'll six, take Chubba. Go ahead, Josh. I mean, Chubba would be better. If I mean, if FSU went seven and three, that's unbelievable, first of all. And second of all, Chubba would be better for recruiting purposes because he's a true freshman. Uh, true freshmen get more shine if they're doing well. Uh, of course, it would be Chubba, right? Is there a different answer? I, I agree with your answer. I'll play devil's advocate. I think with Blackman, it would show that Norvell can coach and help a guy progress. And I think mm-hmm. with Blackman, that would be a big thing. And that's how you would sell it. There you go, seven and three. And a large reason you do that is because of Blackman. And he's improved. He doesn't, you know, break down when he throws two picks in a game and things fall apart. That shows something about the coaching. So I think both the answers are good. I do agree with you. Chubb would get the better shine nationally speaking. It would kind of have that Sam Howell effect. I I was pointing my finger adamantly at Chris in agreement, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter. I think if you go seven and three, that's a win no matter who's Jordan Travis. Yeah, but in this, I'm just, I'm I'm sticking by the rules of the hypothetical. So this hypothetical is saying for recruiting purposes, it doesn't – you go uh, – uh, It does matter. <laughs> it does matter. I, I understand what you're saying. Like, it doesn't matter. But we're – Suck in it up, buttercup. We are now in the hypothetical, Brendan. So, no, it was so flustered there for a moment. Purdy's the answer for recruiting. Yes. He, he's a prettier recruit in the sense of new shiny Christmas toy. Right. Right. Purdy gives I, you the narrative of national TV. And, and that's, that's all recruiting is, Brendan. Come so play with Purdy for two purpose. years versus come play with Blackman for one. But, okay. hey, eligibility is a weird thing, so Blackman could still be here. But for quarterback narrative, for quarterback recruiting, and again, like an MJ Morris, you go ahead and say, hey, look what James Blackman was under two different coaching staffs. Oh, and look what I did it, for Brandon, him. You're <laughs> wrong. All right. AVFO3, you are all coaches on FSU. The S- Sano Niebergs, that's the coach's name. The most critical pieces to the puzzle of future success at FSU is flipping field position, so to speak, with this offensive line. How do you pitch offensive line recruits to come to FSU? All right, we're going to take this out of it. If we're a coach, then Chris is definitely the offensive line <laughs> coach. So, uh, Coach Nee, sell me on coming to Florida State as a top tier offensive line prospect. Um, without doing it illegally, I would say, uh, like you can probably start game one if you're actually as good as we hope you are. Like it's that simple. I would go for the top tier. The issue for recruiting O-line right now, and we've nailed this time and time again, FSU is not as appealing as many schools out there that are competing for the best O-linemen in the country for. And, you know, despite a place like a Georgia or an Oklahoma or a Bama or a Clemson, getting a good offensive tackle every year, guys still want to go there. And it might mean they sit for a year, but they'd rather do that and come to FSU and be part of what's not a good group. Yeah. I think I think the key for FSU with offensive tackle recruiting beyond nailing it and getting a guy is finding one that's currently here and developing them into something capable to sell that they can improve that spot. That spot has such a negative stigma that you hope maybe a guy like Robert Scott, if he gets thrown out there in the fire, handles it or a guy like Chaz Neal gets thrown out there handles it shows mm-hmm. some development I think that's the important thing because the really only success FSU has had at offensive tackle in recent years is a one-year transfer type like a Ryan Roberts now love Taylor who's more of a band-aid than a standout what kind of okay. mascot do you think a Sinone Nieberg would be to me it sounds like a an extra extinct pterodactyl 
like a, a, sick peng- one. a penguin, a very mm-hmm. roundish, wobbling penguin. Something that wouldn't fly very well. I think we're in agreement. Mariners 51. I'm going to throw this just to you, Brendan. Realistically, how much progress can the offense improve by the Georgia Tech game? It's already making a little bit of progress. It sounds like from where it was a week ago. I mean, I don't know how functional it'll be given everything that we've talked about with the truncated preseason and this being a new coaching staff. But compared to last year, like last year's offense was average. I don't see any reason why you can't come out against Georgia Tech and put together an average offensive performance. PJ Teddy wants to know, fellas, what percentage would you give for this team to go seven and three this year in ACC play? Seven and three percentage I'd, I'd give it a much lower percentage in six and four hmm. so 20 percent i would set the betting line at six and a half would what you? does that mean what specifically oh six and a half wins six and a half wins yeah if i was to say the over i would take the under on that yeah i would too so i, I feel i feel good about them going six and four i think they could do as poorly as five and five and I think they could do as good as seven and three. I do feel like five, six, seven in the league is the key number. Right. And so, would you set the betting line at six? Then you don't do. You have to do. A no, no, no. Five, I'm right? fine with your six and a half. I'm good with that. Right. I would, I would take the under though. Okay. All right, Petty TJ. I'm going to take that response and put it into my mental calculator. And these guys are saying there is a 37 percent chance that Florida State goes seven and three in ACC play this year. Not bad. Big Earn wants to know 2022 looking like a really good year for in-state defenders, and FSU is in on several. Uh, Chris, what's what are some of the early names on the board looking like? Uh, well, we talked about one earlier in Marvin Jones Jr. You know, he's a kid that they like a lot. Uh, obviously, they got the commitment from what is it, Nigel Kelly down that way, who's a defensive end type. He's more probably like a fox. If we're just talking defensive linemen, let me look real quick at some of the guys in that class that we're dealing with. You know, uh, I think and, he was just saying defenders overall. I well, think uh, there's a kid like, for example, like an Aaron Wilson's a kid that they were in early on. The old staff, the previous staff was in mm-hmm. on him when he was a West Orange kid. He's now in Maryland. That would be a little bit more difficult to attain. Uh, Francis Knowlton's a kid at Edison down south that they like. Richard Thomas is a guy who really likes FSU. He was here in February, visited Likes FSU a great deal. Truthfully, he's one of those guys that if they got him up another time or two during the summer, I think he would have been an early commitment for them. Yeah. Talent-wise, Florida and Georgia next year for D-line is really freaking good. Uh, you know, in Georgia, there's Michael Williams, Tyree West. Michael is a West Georgia kid in Columbus, and Tyree's a kid in Tifton County, Tiff County, Tifton, Georgia. They're really, really good players. So th- there's a lot of talent for the plucking. It's kind of hard to forecast 22 kids right now just mm-hmm. because we didn't get to see who visits right. campus. Right. There was only a select few that did. And then they also didn't get out to see a lot in the eval period. And that group's going to have a very weird recruiting cycle because, you know, some, some are formulating opinions on schools that they've never stepped foot on campus for. And so often with kids, the early commitments come from the early visits and that's getting wiped out by the current situation. Yeah. And we're already seeing, you know, guys coming off the board, Shamar Stewart, top defensive end in the state of Florida for 2022, already committed to LSU. The top defensive tackle in 2022 out of Lakeland, Florida, Gabriel Brownlow-Dindy committed to Oklahoma. Um, Kenyatta Jackson, the number one weak side defensive end in the state out of Shamanan Madonna, already leaning toward Clemson and Ohio State. Um, it's going to be tough. I mean, when you look at the top tier kids in the state of Florida, not much is going to change from, from, from this year to next year without a major improvement on the field or visits opening up. Um, this is going to lead us into our next question, which is from SWL Seminole. And he wants to know the percent chance that Florida state signs a top 10 class in 2022. I, I think they'll have a chance if they went on the field. I think the key is changing the narrative with success on the so field. Six and four. Florida State finishes with a six and four record in 2020. What do you think the percent chance is that FSU signs a top 10 class? Well, it would be seven and four because we're throwing Jacksonville State in there. So you, you can sell that as, man, we won seven games. Top 10? Yeah. I'd go it's more likely they don't have a top 10 than a top 10, but I think they're drastically higher than what they currently are, which is what, 22 or so? Yeah, they're about 2022. 20, uh, yeah. Yeah, 2022, somewhere in that range. So that doesn't make any sense, what you just said. 
Well, I, because hold on, you hey, said, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just explain your, your, your logic here. What you just told me in the question prior, you said, you think, you know, there's a slim chance that FSU can win seven ACC games. Okay. So you, you, you're saying I'm seven total. we're not, seven okay, we're going off the 11 game. Okay. Because we all, we all know a school sells a total picture. They don't break it down as simply that. I mean, a team can win four games in a year, but if they beat Clemson, they're going to talk about how they beat Clemson, not that they only won four games. Okay. So my point is if FSU won six ACC games in mm-hmm. the Jackson State game, they're selling. You think they have a chance. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm not as optimistic. I'd say a percent chance they make a top 10 next year. I'd say less than 30% chance because I, I agree with you, Chris. I think they need to win somewhere in that seven. I think they need to win at least seven games total. Um to, to have a chance to crack the top 10. And I, you know, I don't know. I think there's still a year off, meaning like, I don't think they're going to sign a top 10 class in 2022, but I think they will be much closer. I do think they will be much closer. Um, Noel fan in Sydney wants to know, Brendan, will Purdy redshirt this year? Probably. Yes, probably. Just, he's probably going to miss a, the first couple games and it doesn't, but it doesn't matter. Right. Cause you're getting a year of eligibility anyways. So. I don't okay. Know. NYC Noel 92. Right, actually, he'll play. Okay, thanks. NYC Noel ninety two says if this team goes seven and three or better. Oh my God, seven or and better. Three. Which recruits could see them getting in with that they're not big with currently? I mean, I I don't feel good about any recruit they're not in with currently because how the hell are they going to get in? They can't go see them, and the kid can't come. See and they them can't out. come. Yeah. So it's kind of a tough thing to attain. You know, I think the impact would be more with twenty two than with twenty one, especially if the early signing period still exists, which. Currently, it does, despite the complete stupidity of that fact. Yeah, a lot of ifs on this one. If the team goes seven or three or better, uh, if they allow visits, if, 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 uh, I just don't, you know, I don't think we're going to see a huge shift in the recruiting board. Put it that way. I think we'll see some new names. Obviously, Florida State's going to sign 10 more players. I have no you know, questions that's going to happen. But I don't think we're going to see a big shift in the board this year. Uh, FSU, go Knowles 24. Chris, does FSU make Terry and he said Terry. Terry and Arnold's top list. They're like I on a first name. Ba- they're like on a first name basis, but not the right yeah, Terry. <laughs> I expect them to. Uh, in conversations with Arnold and you know what his mother has said on the record, I expect that list to be bigger than five. Mm-hmm. You know, he's talked about narrowing it to like ten or so. You know, ten I, FSU's definitely in it, right? <laughs> five, five, I think FSU's in it, right? And that's how I feel about. it. I feel like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, probably a Tennessee. Um, they're all definitely solidly in there. FSU Miami's kind of next here with him. Um, he likes Baylor a lot, but I don't know if he'd be willing to go outside the Southeast. Okay, just that. answer me this question, and then we'll move on. If Terry Arnold dropped a top three on Friday, is FSU? I don't, I don't think FSU would be in that. Okay. I think that would be Florida, Georgia, and then probably like an Alabama. Gotcha. All right. AVF03 wants to know, I like this question, bigger loss from the roster, Brendan, Treshawn Harrison or Kalen Laborn? If it's solely just from a talent perspective and how they fit in the roster, Kalen Laborn, just because of running back room uh, yeah. and he could play two different positions. And he was pretty damn talented when healthy. Yeah, when healthy. All right. Heavy C wants to know, what will the score of the Clemson be, game be this year? Who wants that one? I still have Florida State winning that one. I I, res, I have the right to change it leading up to the week of the game, but I have Florida State winning 31 to 28. I'll go Clemson 38, Florida State 28. Wow. We're all like looking at some quantifiable growth here for Florida State. I mean, I think it will be a game when the second quarter begins and definitely the second half. Okay. That's that's nice of you. All right. Noel Ryan six wants to know, is DJ Matthews done done? Uh, this uh, question came before today's development. Yeah, to be determined. It wouldn't surprise, I think, any of us, but we've not heard definitively one way or the other. Quentin C. wants to know, and he wrote half of this question in all caps. Do, Screaming. Do I need to yell the second half? There's no question marks either, so it's just no stating stuff, some of it presumably angrily. What player or players are poised to take on a bigger role to – being a better scheme fit for this staff over the previous one. This is where he starts yelling. Also, what player or players are likely to have a lesser role due to not being a good fit for what the staff wants? I don't think the staff has much room to be picky, right? Like the guys that are the frontline guys are kind of the guys that they got to deal with. 
I think they also coach two of the players they have. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to find the most talented guys that do things the best they ask them to do, and they're trying to put those guys in position to help them win games. So answer, is there a guy that maybe you know steps in and gets more reps just because the staff is here? I think Cam McDonald does. I think the mm-hmm. fact that they love tight ends, they want to use him. He's a guy that's put forth a lot of work. He's become a better blocker, a more well-rounded player. I think that helps increase his workload. Um you know, the running back room, you can't really compare the two because everybody's new outside of Sheffield. Uh, other guys, you know, I think the defensive line is used in a much more effective manner. I think guys enjoy playing D-line under the staff more than they enjoyed it under that staff. So I think it will be beneficial. I think a healthy Kando is going to have the most productive year of his career, but that's more about health, I think, than staff. McDonald was going to be my choice. as the first thing I thought of just schematically on defense – these two guys may end up just being camp darlings, but two guys who were here last year that may see bigger roles. Uh, Kalen Deloach at linebacker in the hybrid linebacker safety role and Jarvis Brownlee uh, pushing for legitimate snaps as a second team cornerback. Okay. Um, yep. That's it. My ADD just kicked in. So <laughs> scroll down and say you had another full page. You want yeah, me to ask the questions real I'm going to ask three more questions off of, off of, uh, like right. this two pages of work lightning let's, lightning let's, round let's do uh, we can make this go fast come on let me let me jordan let me jordan rogers 113 well it would go fast if you would stop talking what is going on with ira henry i never I, hear his name we got bogged down on me talking about recruiting for seven minutes straight oh ira henry i mean you never hear his name because he's a third string offensive lineman at this point i, I don't know what's going on with him it's just mm-hmm. yeah which player on the O-line that will get significant playing time are you least excited to see play? Uh, I just, like based, just based on history, I don't want to take shots because I like him. Uh, Bavion Johnson, I feel like we already kind of know what he is. I know that's Josh's boy, but I just, I, I'm not ex- thrilled at the prospect of him starting again this season. We saw that last year. It's not his yeah. fault. I, maybe. It very well could be right. I'm not excited about it, though, and that was the question. Um, Chris's question, Chris three three threes is good. Over under on how many freshmen we start, uh, we see start against Georgia Tech. Name them. Over under on how many freshmen play in the Georgia Tech game. Name them. He's not even asking questions; he's just demanding them. I don't know if I feel confident that any freshman starts. Um, other than maybe Alex Mastromano. Yeah. I can't think of another guy who I definitively think starts. Maybe Lawrence think- Philly if they go with two running backs. Uh, maybe, yeah, but I think Corbin's your primary one running back. We still got to kind of figure out what's up with Webb, whether or not, because, you know, we don't think he's scrimmaged much here. Um, no, he has, he has not scrimmaged at all. Oh, we right. can say that. That's fair. So I, I don't, I don't think there's another freshman. I do think a lot will play. I think they're going to empty out the clip when it comes to the roster. I don't think they're, this is going to be a team that doesn't go super deep just simply because of the fact that they're going to need to get guys reps and experience guys that we're confident will play really quickly uh role depending but on special teams maybe on the two deep steven dix jr dj lundy josh griffiths on the other side of the ball uh, i think Corey wren finds an opportunity Corey Wren on special teams or situational stuff yeah jakai douglas lawrence tofilly uh tron might Maybe he's a a big receiver. Obviously, Terry kind of fills that role, but Tron brings a little something different. Maybe a red zone situation type deal. All right. I got one last question. Can we ask this one, Josh, then we're done? Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry we didn't get to your question. Oh, I almost made it through an entire podcast without apologizing, guys. I'm getting so much better at this. Savannah Bandana asks, we continue to hear about finding the top eight offensive linemen to roll out with. I think Norvell regrets saying eight because that's the question he was getting asked. And he seems a little irritated that, that he's been pegged into eight. Uh, which never, of the f- never be too specific. It always <laughs> bites you in the ass in the end. So the neism. Uh, which of the following has the greatest opportunity? Option A, Bavion and Baselli are both in the top eight. B, Bavion in the top eight, no Baselli. C, Baselli in top eight, no Bavion. D, neither in top eight. Well, it won't be D. I, you know, I, I actually was thinking about this laying in bed yesterday. <laughs> God. Um, we we know who we expect the top five to be, and then Bavion and Baselli are five six in that group. Mm-hmm. But Marie Smith's also in that mix, so that's seven. But then there's Schrader and Scott, so that's eight nine. Ooh. So suddenly we're oddly at nine with a group where I'm not sure I feel comfortable with five. So my answer out of the opportunities is A. I think both of them are, especially because I know Baselli's gotten some work at guard this preseason. So I think he's at least a second team guard helping out Dante and Brady behind them. But my answer would be A. 
I would go with A. B is the next most likely. It seems like Bavion's ahead of Andrew Baselli at this point. All right, yeah. is that every, that's everything I think. If someone asked about. No, we're done. I, I won't. I won't put Josh through it anymore. That was good, guys. We did it like in an hour. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we are on the bench. We'll be back either later next week, early this week, or I f- all that up, Brendan. Right <laughs> <laughs>